Some people love to observe a train wreck. They love to watch videos of disasters. For instance, my family and I, speaking about my wife and my two little ones, have been watching America's Funniest Home Videos, the old ones. Like you can see the screen's all grainy and everything. But they love to show these videos of people like riding down a hill until they hit something and they go over the handlebars and their face smashes into something. It's like there's some morbid curiosity as to watching people in pain. This particular show loves mostly when a man gets hit in the groin. It's like a recurring theme. It's like, oh, oh. We love to observe these train wrecks for some reason. Well, last week uh, we noted that if God had not intervened and provided light, the world would have remained in darkness. That was last week. Well, this morning, we want to study the next section of the Gospel of John. And as we do so, we want to think about the fact that God could have set this planet and mankind in motion. He could have sat back and just observed human wreckage. He could have remained detached, but instead, we see His intervention in numerous ways to let people know, to let the world know of His existence, of His glory, and of His grace. And not only did He not remain detached, He actually entered into our wreckage to deliver us. It's an amazing reality. And that's the reality that John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, portrays to us this morning in John chapter 1. It's already been read, but we're going to read it again. John chapter 1. Take a look, please, with me at verses 14 through 18 and see how God entered into this creation that He had made that we have tarnished and has come to deliver. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me because He was before Me. For from His fullness we have all received Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side. He has made Him known. There's so much here. And we'll try our best in the time we have this morning to to dive into some of these glories. As we start, we'll notice first of all, God's glory is displayed in Jesus Christ. God's glory is displayed in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you think of glorious things... What do you think of? I'm sure you have your own version of what something glorious looks like. I'm going to share with you a 14-second video 
that I took on the shoreline of South Carolina just a couple of years ago. My wife and I had left our hotel room uh, at like 5.30 in the morning, went out to the beach just to wait until the sun peaked over the horizon. And it's a glorious benefit, a grace for us to behold these kinds of things that God has made. You can see in that scene, and I'll make reference to it a little bit later, the waves of the ocean coming one after the other. But you can see this sun peeking up over the horizon to give us light and warmth and all of these things. This is something glorious made by a glorious God. And it was Jesus Christ Himself who spoke these kinds of things into existence. For everything that we see was created by God through Christ. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So everything we see was made by Him. We see this kind of a glorious thing by a glorious God. He is the One. This One that spoke this world into existence. This is the One who became flesh and dwelt among us. His presence here in verse 14 is described as glory. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. He's the only begotten Son in some versions. He's a one-of-a-kind Son. He's a, there's no one else like Him. He's unique. There's no one else like this Lord Jesus who is both God, fully God, and man, fully man. He is both God and man. And he is, His glory was seen when He came before us. So God has been putting His glory on display from the beginning. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. We understand that. God's presence is experienced in both general ways and very specific ways. We want to talk about that for just a moment. First of all, some of the general ways that we experience God's glory, whether we recognize it or not, the the general experience of God's glory is felt and seen all around the world, all around the globe, at every moment, whether people are recognizing it or not. And you can can capture this uh, from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has this vision of the glory of God and the, the angels, the seraphim that are uh, around the throne of God. And listen to what they say. Listen to these words in Isaiah 6.3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is what? Full of His glory. You know there's no such thing as a God-forsaken place? I've heard that expression? There's no such thing as a God-forsaken place. Every place you go is a place where God's glory is. God made this and God's presence is there. It's an amazing thing. And none of us can understand, I don't understand, you don't understand, what it would be like to be detached, separated, completely absent of God's glory. We don't know what that's like. Every human being that walks on the face of the earth, that breathes in this air, that God has given to us, that has life in His lungs, experience in some way this general demonstration of God's glory. But not only has God demonstrated His glory generally like this, uh, God has also demonstrated His glory in very specific ways. Uh, Take a look please at Exodus chapter 25. While you're turning there, I'll talk a little bit more about this general experience of God's glory. You can see God's glory through the 
delicate, wise design that he has created. As you see a bird take flight, it's amazing. Just, they happen to be lightweighted bones. They happen to be aerodynamic. No, these are by design. As you watch a fish glide through the water, it's an amazing thing to behold. This is God's creative hand on display. As your body repairs itself, so many of the systems in our body, God has uh, woven right into us the ability for our bodies to repair themselves. There are certainly things that don't repair themselves that need intervention, but so many of the parts of our body God causes to uh, regenerate or to repair. Um, You think about the wonder of, of hills and valleys, streams, rivers, oceans. We've all seen them. They... They appear, their beauty is there, design is there, and they they produce a wonder within us. This is an experience of God's glory, whether we give Him credit and understand it or not. It's an evidence of His glory. Well, God has also demonstrated His glory in very specific ways. We're thinking now about Exodus 25. After God has delivered His people, Israel, from the land of Egypt... He gives them the law, and then He tells them, I want you to build this tabernacle. I want you to build this tabernacle. And He he gave them very specific instructions on how to build this tabernacle. He didn't just tell them, build this tabernacle because it's a really cool thing to do. He tells them the reason why He wanted them to build the tabernacle. That's why we're in Exodus 25. Take a look at verse 8. Exodus 25 and verse 8. It says, and let them make me a sanctuary. Will you read the rest of that verse with me? That I may dwell in their midst. That I may dwell in their midst. God had the people of Israel that He just delivered, that He gave the law, and He's calling them to to another place. He gave them this instruction to build a tabernacle so God would dwell with them. Uh, It's a a really uh, cool and an amazing reality. God in this way was making His presence more recognizable. He was, through this tabernacle, producing a realized presence. A realized presence. Take a look now at Exodus 40. The 40th chapter of Exodus. When the tabernacle was completed, there was a cloud of presence displaying God's glory. You can call it the Shekinah glory. Whatever this was, God's glory descended upon this tabernacle. In the, the daytime, there was a pillar of cloud over it. At the nighttime, it was a pillar of fire over it. All of this to demonstrate to His people, I am with you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will protect you. I am for you, I'm dwelling with you. God's glory on display here. Look at Exodus chapter 40. Look at verses 34 and 35. It says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Down to verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it 
by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Think about this. God says, you know, you can see my handiwork if you just look up or look around. Just look at yourself. You think, pinch. Do you know how complex it is to make this actually happen? It starts up here. It has to travel down your nervous system through nerves and impulses, and eventually you can do this. And you can do it, you know, when you have a baby, you're always looking for them to be able to have that pincher grasp, that pincher movement. So you put Cheerios on their little tray, and you see them, they're like... And it's pretty amazing. They can't even come close. But eventually, the fine motor skills develop. Their brain develops, and they can grab it and eat. First, they put it in their eye or put it in your face. But eventually, they get it in their mouth. All of the amazing things that take place, these all display God's glory and His design. But then God says, I want to show you. I want to show you beyond my design. I'm going to come to you. And he came to them in this, it's kind of mystical, right? In a cloud or in a fire. But that's not the end of the story. He started to unveil little bit by little bit that he had a bigger, better plan to unveil his glory for us to see his glory and to know that he's with us, to know that he's for us. And he started to leave little droplets in a passage like Isaiah chapter 7. Listen to these words in verse 14. They're familiar words. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Will you read the end of this with me? And shall call His name Emmanuel. Now you know from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 what Emmanuel means. It's interpreted as God with us. God with us from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. So Jesus now is ultimately the fulfillment of this prophecy that you see on the screen on my left and right. Jesus is the God with us. He's Emmanuel. Jesus tabernacled among us. And what was He doing? He was displaying God's glory in the kingdoms of men. He came to us. And when you see, when they saw Jesus... His presence was described in a particular way. He was full of grace and truth. Full is a great word. Up to and overflowing. Full of grace and truth. This expression is almost certainly an allusion back to the same passages that we're talking about here in Exodus when God introduced Himself to Moses. You'll remember that Moses said, you know, God, I'm your representative, and I'm, I'm, I'm leading this group of people, and I really want to see your glory. Please show me your glory. And God, in His kindness, did demonstrate some portion of His glory to, to Moses. And, and remember, He put Him behind and in, in the cleft of a rock, and he, and he passed by, but He didn't get to see everything. He just saw the... I don't understand this but the backside of God. Now, God doesn't have a body, so He's not talking about you know, the backside, backside. Just basically the concept of a portion. I'm going to give you a glimpse 
of my glory. And when Moses had this experience of beholding God's glory pass by him, God said something to introduce himself. And I want you to hear these words. They're actually, you're in Exodus. Take a look at Exodus 34. I think they'll also be on the screen, I think. Um, Exodus 34. Look at verses 5 through 7. I think verses 6 and 7 will be on the screen. So Exodus 34, look at verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed, the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. Isn't that just stop there for a second and, and wonder? The Lord comes and the Lord proclaims the name of the Lord. All right, and what did he say? Verse 6 The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. Will you read the rest of verse 6 with me? And abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You can stop reading there. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The phrase I want you to focus in on is at the end of verse 6 that I had you read with me abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Hebrew words for uh, steadfast love is the Hebrew word hased, hased, and the Hebrew word for the word faithfulness is the Hebrew word amet, amet, and they're parallel to the New Testament expression that we see in John chapter 1 and verse 14, that Jesus was full of grace or charis and truth or Aletheia. It's the parallel terms are used here in Exodus chapter 34. So when God says to Moses, my glory is going to pass before you and I'm going to pronounce to you. I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim my name to you. And one of the things he told Moses about himself in this demonstration of his glory is, I am full of grace and truth. And then we waited. This is Moses' experience. And we waited. And God says, I am going to come to you and I will be full of grace and truth. And then Jesus came. And we beheld His glory. The glories of the only Son with the Father. Full, abounding, overflowing with grace. Steadfast, loyal, covenant love. And truth faithfulness that you can count on Him. When He speaks, you know it's true. When He promises, you know it will come to pass. This is who He is. He gave Moses a glimpse. And He says, I want you to have an abiding understanding of this realized presence. My glory is going to come to you in your wreckage. And you will wonder at Him. For those of us that know Christ, we wonder. Our hearts are overflowing with joy, we're in awe of the fact that God would condescend to be with us. And then there are others. Remember, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Jesus is full of grace and truth. What does it mean to be full of grace? What is grace? It's, it's favor, or undeserved favor. It is blessing. It is life. It is power. For instance, let's just think of just a couple of illustrations as we conclude this portion of our discussion and head back to John chapter 1. Grace is God supplying what we need for whatever the occasion. When the law demands obedience, 
God supplies not only a record of obedience, but power to obey. When my circumstances provide anxiety, God's grace provides peace. Whose peace? My peace? No. My peace I give to you, Jesus said. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. So when I face an anxiety, anxious situation, my heart inside of me, I'm all worked up and troubled. God's grace in that moment can supply a peace that passes all understanding. It comes from outside of ourselves. This is grace. Jesus is the avenue of this very fullness of grace. When my spouse is unreasonable, not yours. God supplies long-suffering through His grace. It's available. He's available for you. When I'm surrounded by people who want to battle, God's Spirit provides love. So this is grace. Abounding grace comes from Christ. Not from me. Not from you. Not even from our Bibles. Not from our fellowship. But from God Himself. He is the source of this grace that you and I desperately need. He's so good. Tying Jesus to the declaration of God's glory obviously communicates about Jesus' divine nature and the fact that He entered into the world that He created. But now, as we move a little further in our our look at the Gospel of John chapter 1, we see that Jesus conveyed His glory even in His humanity. Jesus' glory is displayed even as a human. I want you to think about that for a moment. Verse 15 starts off by saying this, John, speaking about John the Baptist, bore witness about Him, and he cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me because He was before Me. I have a question for you to answer just internally. Why did John the Baptist need to testify of Jesus' superior rank and preexistence? You don't have to think too deeply. The reason is because he looked like any old Jew of the day. He was flesh and blood. Remember the people in Nazareth? Nazareth said, I know your mama and your daddy. You think you're going to come here and teach me something? I know who you are. I know where you live. I know where you grew up. He was a human. So John, the Baptist, who was proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, said, this one that was born six months after me, he's greater than I am. He outranks me. He's superior to me because he lived before me. He's eternal. This Jesus who appeared simply to be a man, was fully a man, But He appeared simply as a man. He was far more than that. He is God in the flesh. And so it had to be unveiled that He was superior and eternal. Now we look at verse 16. For from His, Jesus, fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Then and now, I want you to think about this, This is not just data for your brain. This is food for your soul and for mine as well. 
Then and now, Jesus is an inexhaustible supply of grace. It says, from His fullness. Or, out of. The word is ek in the Greek. Out of His fullness. From this supply of fullness that can't be exhausted, from His fullness, we have all received, that's a, the concept of a gift, we've all received as a gift, and what does He say that he's re- we've received as a gift? Grace upon grace is how it says it in our translations. The Greek says, charis, grace, anti, instead of, grace. So, Come back in your mind with me. I decided not to put it back on the screen for you. But remember the, the, the sunrise that I showed you? 14 second clip? Remember the waves of the ocean coming in? One after the other? So one wave comes in and breaks on the beach and it goes back on out. But it's followed by another wave coming back in. Grace in place of grace in place of grace in place of grace. You don't have to stop. In place of grace... In place of grace, I could go on. In place of grace, so we'll just say infinity. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. God supplies from His vast storehouse who is Jesus. We have all received. I don't know, have you received? Have you received from Christ this endless supply of grace where you can taste that He's real. You can taste that He is good. You can taste that He is for you. You can taste that He is faithful. You can taste He won't leave. You can taste that He has you now and forever. Can you taste this? Have you received that grace? It's an unending supply that every human everywhere is in desperate need for. And I've tasted. He gives this grace upon grace. Jesus replaces one kind of grace with another. Maybe the next one is sweeter than the last. Maybe the next one feels fuller than the last. But like the waves of the ocean, they come one after the other. Do you taste that kindness and love and favor from God? This is what we try to hold out to you and ourselves every time we're together. Do you want to feel accepted without reservation? Come. Come to Jesus. You will never have to question whether He'll embrace you. Come to Him. Come. Everyone who is weary. Everyone who is tired. Everyone who who was warned, and he will give you rest. He is good. If you look to people to supply grace and to fulfill your needs, you will come up short. You'll come up short of what you think you need, and you'll definitely come up short of what you desire. But when you look to Jesus for this grace, he has it in abundance. And then from that reservoir of received grace, you and I can be a channel of God's grace to those in our lives, whether it's our spouse, 
our children, our parents, our co-workers, our neighbors. God provides this grace in fullness. Now we move a little forward in the text, a little further on, and we come to verse 17 where God's Word says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, it would be very easy for you and I to, to look at this as a dichotomy. Two different things. Okay, Contrast. Law came through Moses. Ooh, bad. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Ooh, good. It would be very easy for us to think this way, but that is, not the, that is not the context here. Verse 16 and verse 18 provide the immediate context. Verse 16 says that you have received, all of you have received grace upon grace. And then this little word, F-O-R, or if you like Greek words, gore, G-O-R, this uh, gar, uh, G-A-R, um, this transition, it's, it's, a, it's a preposition. It hangs on to the last portion for significance. In other words, if you want to taste what one grace instead of another is, you see the grace that God gave through the law of Moses and the grace that God provides through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we can know that is you get to verse 18 and it says Jesus is a full demonstration, a full explanation, a full manifestation of God the Father is, so also is the law that came from God through Moses. So Moses gave one type of grace, the law. Often we don't look at the law as a means of grace or an avenue of grace, but it was. It was given for our good. And so listen to, to me for, for just a moment on the law. There are two ways in which God gave the law, and it is good for us. It is grace to us. First of all, it helps you and I to know how life works best in a fallen world. If you think about the law, if the law were simply about like, a, a, just fully a revelation of God and His character, it wouldn't account for a lot of the things that it accounts for. What it does is it reveals how God helps us to navigate life in a broken world. So that that's why there's rules for how to deal with slavery or um, when you have more than one wife, do this. <laughs> like, what do you mean have more than one wife? God was legislating in the midst of people's brokenness how life can work better how life works best. And so we gave this law as a grace to say, listen, if you, keep, if you just do whatever comes naturally, disaster will undoubtedly ensue. But let me try to restrain some of that foolishness for you. And he gave the law. So that's one way in which the law is a grace to us in that it shows us how life works best. Secondly, and far more importantly, the law reveals not the brokenness of the world out there, but the brokenness of me in here. This is a grace to me. And this is a grace to you. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 20, and in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 24, the law prepares us to see our helplessness and it leads us to Christ. So while Moses brought grace, he brought the grace of the law to prepare us for Jesus. Jesus brings about or brought about a realization or demonstration of grace and truth. This is what, he, what, it, what is going on here. Verse, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's glory demonstrated in a person. God is full of grace. 
God is full of truth. When, when the scene of God's glory passing by Moses, God declared it. And now Jesus comes in flesh and blood, in living color, for people to see this is what fullness of grace looks like. And this is what fullness of truth and faithfulness looks like. What a grace we have received. Now you and I weren't there to see Him with our eyes. But we have the benefit of the record. And we have the benefit of His Spirit who opens our eyes to see as we read the accounts of the Gospels, the grace with which Jesus demonstrated Himself and the grace with which He spoke. The grace He gave to people and the truth He illustrated so beautifully. He came to us. He became flesh. This is the same concept here as that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In verse 14, He came to us. In verse 17, He came to us. There's a repeat of the same verb to let us know in the arrival of the Word made flesh, we have the arrival of fullness of grace and fullness of truth. Everything He said and everything He did, every work He performed, every miracle displayed God's glory in a person. I want you to think about this. God came to us to show us what truth is and what truth does. There are so many false narratives in our world that we are exposed to. Some from silly things like you can look like this in just 10 minutes a day. You heard stuff like this, right? Comes across your Facebook feed. Or maybe you're on Twitter or whatever other thing. It's like this stupid advertisement comes through and says, oh, you don't have to change your eating style. Just do this for 10 minutes a day and you're going to look and you see some buff dude and you're like, oh, all right, I can give 10 minutes. But you're smart enough to realize that that's foolishness. But you know, there are far more subtle ways and dangerous ways that people claim to provide truth. Like, find your truth. Or speak your truth. Or live your truth. As you are so wise as to determine what is right and best. Because you have such vast experience. And you have done such vast research. And now you know what your truth is. And now you proclaim, this is my truth and that's your truth. You live your truth and I'll live my truth and everything will be wonderful. How does that work? 2 plus 2 still equals 4. Your truth might say 2 plus 2 equals 17. But I'm still only going to give you 4 cents worth or $4 worth or $400 worth. Math is still math and truth is still truth. It's, it's an amazing thing. Instead, the Bible proclaims that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He's the truth. He came and demonstrated what truth really is. Faithfulness and truth in full display. He is the source of truth. He's the determiner of truth. He's the model of truth. If you want to know what's right, you want to know what's good for you, look to Him. He is full of truth. And to that I say, thank you, Lord.
Not only did He come to display fully truth, He came to display what grace is and what grace does. Grace is God's favor for those who do not deserve it. It is unmerited favor. God's blessings and kindness unearned by us. Jesus is full of this grace. Now I want you to take a moment. We already talked about grace, so I'm not going to rehash there. I do want you to take a moment here. Deep, deep breath. It needs to be clearly understood that Jesus is not simply the kinder, gentler expression or person of God. It's not like you have the ogre God of the Old Testament and the gentle God of the New Testament. And he just wants to display his different sides as if he's um, schizophrenic or troubled or confused. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. He has made Him known. He's the full expression of the Father. Or you can say it like this. Everything that we see in Jesus is an expose of who God is. So you might want to read and look. See how Jesus dealt with needy people. Poor and wounded and broken people. And if you need someone to deal with you like that, you know who to go to. Jesus is a demonstration of who the Father is, who He Himself is, and who the Spirit is. Go to God if you're weak and wounded and needy. If, on the other hand, you're all set, and you've got it all together, and you've got it all figured out, and your life is going just perfectly, and everything you do turns to gold like Midas, right? then don't bother going. Because if you have it all set, Jesus was not very nice to those people. Read Matthew 23. Whited sepulchers. Den of vipers. So if you're all set, don't go to Him. If you're weak and wounded and needy, go to Him. You'll find Him to be gentle. May I say, as a side note, ain't nobody got it all figured out. So I can tell you, I can tell you, you need Him. Today, tomorrow, and every day. So do you. But He's good to go to. He shows you He shows you who God is because He is, in fact, God Himself. Jesus is the invisible, uh, the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1.15. In John chapter 14, you remember? Let's take a look there. We're in chapter 1. Take a look over at John chapter 14 for a moment. We have a few more things to do. Don't panic. You will have lunch today. It won't be super late. But we have a few more minutes of gospel truth that will refresh your soul. John chapter 14. Look at verses 8 and 9. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. 
Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Will you read with me? Verse 9, the end of it. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You want to know who the Father is? Look to Jesus. God has entered into this fallen world to deliver us, to display His truth, to display and offer His grace. And it is this grace that is necessary to give us eternal life. So our God sees the challenges of our sin, our sinful world, our neediness. And He comes to us. He didn't remain detached and separate. He comes to us. He displays His glory in general. And in specific ways, He displays His glory in the form of a cloud and a fire, cloud by day for the people of Israel. And then in a very personal way, God displays His willingness to enter our brokenness through sending Jesus Christ. He displays His glorious nature as God and He's full of grace and truth. Listen to This will be on the screen for you. This next set. The ultimate expression of God's grace is that Jesus laid down His life as a perfect and final sacrifice for our sin. He did this so that He might also bring us to Himself. Having entered into our brokenness, He invites us to enter into His wholeness. He welcomes us to real life as it should be. We experience tastes of it now, but we'll enjoy fullness and wholeness in perfect fellowship with Him forever. So with that being said, take a look at Revelation 21. We can experience God's glory now and forever. When we come to believe God, when we believe the awesome salvation that He has provided for us, He forgives our sin. He gives us His righteousness. He gives us spiritual life. And He places His Holy Spirit within us. This is an opportunity for us to experience His glory in this life. The Holy Spirit provides us with life and joy and peace. He provides us with comfort. He provides us with truth. He dwells with us, those that have trusted Christ, He dwells with us and in us until the day we experience the fullest expression of God's glory that can be had. So we want to take a quick look here in Revelation 21 at how God describes the end of our journey. When we and all who have trusted Christ as Savior experience the full uninterrupted fellowship that our soul needs. Take a look at Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So this provision of this text, this provision of life that God gives to us, He gives it to us, in verse 6, without payment. Without payment. At least not, not with payment from us. There was a payment. There was a payment for us to experience that joy of being God's children and Him being our Father and His dwelling with us forever and His wiping away all the tears and sorrow and pain and mourning. He takes it all away. There was a payment not made by us, but made by God made flesh. Jesus lived out His life and laid down His life, was buried and rose again in order to obtain us by making payment for our eternal salvation with His own blood. God has not sat idly by as the world has experienced turmoil and brokenness. He became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I invite you to experience His glory today. How? Well, you could pray something like this. Lord, I know I am sinful, broken, and needy. I see that You sent Your Son in order to provide forgiveness for me and eternal fellowship with You. Please let me experience Your glory now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, You know what we need. You have provided abundantly for our need in Christ. We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You have been so kind to give us grace after grace after grace. Help us to rejoice in this. I pray that we would rest in You and that You would work in us and transform us for Your glory that Your grace would not only be experienced by us, but dispensed by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.